Welcome to The Workbench, where each week we take the time and make the space to build and create in our lives. I'm your host, Christina Aw, and I'm a writer, coach, and human resources professional with a deep interest in helping you find clarity, overcome obstacles, plan, and take action on your big dreams and goals. By doing this and sharing the journey, we can build and create, and we can inspire others to do the same. So let's get to it. episode 19 of the Workbench Podcast. Today's guest is Joe Dockery. Joe and I have never officially met, but I was introduced to him by my mom, who worked with him earlier this year, as part of a successful musical production that Joe created and produced in my hometown of Saranac Lake, New York. He seemed a prime candidate to be a guest on the Workbench, so I asked him to join me for a conversation, and he was game. We had a great time. Joe has had a full career as a chiropractor, and music has also played a huge part in his life. He now finds himself at a crossroads, getting ready for his next steps in life, which include a move back to Virginia and some other exciting plans that we'll discuss in today's conversation. What I loved about our talk is Joe's willingness to take risks, to continue his growth in thinking about wellness and health, in addition to his creative endeavors. This is so much a part of our work at the workbench, to be willing to take risks and pursue our ideas, and to keep growing. The conversation touches on many different topics, including his upbringing, schooling, development as a musician, and an interesting story about the path that led him back to his wife. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to his website and for the songs we include for the Workbench playlist. I'm sending out love and light, and I hope you enjoy. We are now recording. Um, Joe, welcome to the workbench. Thank you for taking the time today to talk with me. You're Um, welcome. And thank you, Christina. I appreciate uh, you asking me to be here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think we'll start with just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you're up to, anything that you'd like our audience to know about you. Well, okay. Uh, professionally, I'm a chiropractor, and uh, I'm been, I've been doing it for 41, nearly 42 years now. So I'm nearing the end of my uh, working career, hopefully. I'm trying to get things together to retire very soon. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last 41 years, is practicing chiropractic in Stanton, Virginia, okay. for 32 years. And then I moved to Saranac Lake nine years ago and uh, have been practicing uh, way up north in Saranac Lake. And uh, we will eventually move back to Stanton where we have a life and friends. And not that we don't here, we certainly do here. And uh, we will hopefully spend the summers here and the winters there. So it would be wonderful to have two lives or continue our our two lives. That sounds Um, great. Yeah, I I was born in Davenport, Iowa. So, and I went to school in the Midwest, so I was a Midwesterner uh, in my formative years, and then an Easterner, and now a Northeasterner. So, uh, those are the three places that uh, are significant in where I've lived. And um, I, um, that's, that's pretty much me at this point. Okay. And tell me a little bit about your family. I am the ninth of 13 children. <laughs> I, I am, uh, yeah. <laughs> I am, uh, there's seven boys and six girls, and it's an interesting thing because I was the ninth, and um, there were girls ahead of me, uh, Mary, Marcy, Anne, and Kathy were ahead of me, and then there was a little bit of a gap, and then Liz behind me, 
And so I, uh, uh, you know, when you were younger and you had girls around you and you wanted to do guy things, it wasn't like I had all these people to play with. I was pretty much, I hate to say alone, but, um, but it, was in, it was an interesting spot in the lineup. And uh, now that uh, we're all older and we look back on our lives, you know, we all look at our lives very differently. And, and we, were, we were all raised by different parents. And what I mean by that is that my parents, obviously, not obviously, but, you know, like as we all do, they grew themselves, you know, as the years went by. And, uh, uh, and so each one of us were treated, you know, basically the same, but, but there were certainly some differences. So it's interesting to hear the perspective of my brothers and sisters regarding our upbringing. But it was a wonderful upbringing and uh, middle class, um, Catholic. I uh, went to Catholic schools uh, when I was um, uh, in grade school and in high school. Well, as a matter of fact, and in college too. So I was indoctrinated in Catholicism. Um, more about the family, uh, nothing much other than uh, we're all fairly athletic. That was a big part of our, of our lives. We had a piano in the house and each one of us tinkered at the piano a little bit of uh, some of us a little bit more than others and um, I followed the music path and my avo my vocation is chiropractic but my avocation is is uh, music and um, certainly not one any greater than the other <laughs> so about about even on that then I think so yeah yeah and so where to go from here? There's a lot of places we could go. It's, it's fascinating that you had such a large family and, and um, you know, as you were talking about the lineup, I was thinking about how you never stand in the same river twice as you were talking about your parents. That was the quote that came to mind in terms of growth and evolution with ourselves and, and how, how you can have different parents um, based on the timing of, of birth and, and their, Yeah, and I look growth. at my father and I, and I saw the obvious growth in my father. Once I became, you know, a mature adult and I was able to realize that, oh, wow, we're all, you know, we're all individuals here and that we're all moving forward. And you're able to, um, uh, you know, look at your parents and, and how, they, how they treated you. And it, when you're younger, it's, you know, everybody's against me, you know. And then as you get older, you realize the reasons behind some of the decisions that were made. But then you also realize the maturity growth of your parents. I mean, it was, especially when you can compare it to, the ages that you are. I'm 65 years old right now. So, uh, um, you know, I remember my parents when they were 65. I remember my parents right. when they were, you know, younger than that and, uh, and who they were hanging out with and what they were doing and decisions that they were making personally and decisions they were making for the family. And, uh, uh, and I'm really happy to say that uh, the growth that I saw was impressive and something to live by. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think now that I'm in this, this uh, phase of my life right now where our son is 17 and some of the decisions we are making, he is definitely on board with. And, and then there are some that are not. And I, I, that's what I'm hoping for because I know that's true for me too, is I couldn't understand why my mom or dad would have had us do certain things. And now I really do understand it. So it's great to get that clarity mm -hmm, as you, yeah, definitely. And um, you're married. I am. And uh, which is a whole story. I'm sure we'll get into that here in a little bit. But uh, yes, I'm married. I have a 35-year-old uh, son and my wife has three children, uh, 39, 37, and 30. Uh, she has two boys and a girl and I have uh, one son. 
and they live in the Washington, D.C. area, or we have my son who lives right in Washington, D.C., right near the Capitol and Northeast, and, uh, and then Mary Lynn's, um, two of her children live in uh, the suburbs, the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., and then she has a son who has a wife and a son who would be our grandson who live north of New York City in uh, Mamaroneck. Okay. All right, so it does make sense to to spend more time down in Virginia area again with all that all of the family that's down there. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, now that they're in their thirties, uh, not that they weren't interesting before, they were very interesting um, kids to uh, to to raise and um, uh, and to be around. Uh, but now, you know, we don't raise them any longer, and they're adults. And uh, and I and it's so happy to say that we all really get along and we really enjoy each other's company and uh and and that is one of the main reasons why we want to move back to virginia so that we can be closer closer to them on a regular basis yeah that makes sense well why don't you tell us a surprising fact about your life that some people might never guess what yeah i uh that's i i am an open book I've been, uh, you had, you had sent me uh, some questions and that was one of the questions. And so I've been, I've been sort of looking over that and thinking, I don't know of anything that anybody doesn't already know about me. Uh, surprising fact, other than the fact that, uh, that I'm the ninth of 13 children. Because, that would qualify for sure. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Because uh, everybody knows me as Joe Dockery and that's it. They don't know me as Mr. Dockery or Mrs. Dockery's son. They don't know me as Mary or Marcy Dockery's brother. They don't know me as, as, uh, as even, even Luke, my, my son, his, they don't even know me as his father. Um, because uh, he lives in Washington D.C., as I say, but my my brothers and sisters all live all over the country, from Chicago, Omaha, Indianapolis, um, Denver, um, Brooklyn, uh, Minneapolis, Milwaukee. So they're they're all over the place, and I and I have one brother who is back in Bettendorf, and uh, so being the ninth of thirteen children, and and having that life and that identity, which uh, you know, which is huge, uh, as far as what has made me who I am, and I look at my brothers and sisters, and we see a lot of similarities, and we see some differences, but uh, a lot of the similarities we see as um, uh, from our upbringing and from from uh, how we were raised, and both nature and nurture. And um, so, when uh, it, I don't know what to say about that, other than uh, I mourn the fact that my really close friends in Virginia and my close friends here in New York, they don't know me as the ninth of 13. They don't know me as part of the Dockery clan because with that came a tremendous amount of perks. Uh, being the ninth, I was, um, I was down the line and my parents were well-respected in town and my brothers and sisters were all uh, rather successful socially. They had a lot of friends and things. And so when I came along, it was like, oh, you, you must be a dockery because we all look the same. And, uh, and with that came this privilege. I got put at the front of the line, so to speak, so, so often just because of my station in life. And, uh, um, and so I think that it's interesting. I named off all those towns. And I really believe that the reason that we live in all these different areas is because we needed to find our own identity and we had the courage uh, to, uh, to fly the coop, so to speak, and to make our own way. 
And I would say that that's consistent. And that's even consistent with my brother who stayed because he's the only one who stayed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one by one, you know, he sort of lost all this support around him. And, uh, and of course, he's a strong individual himself and he's made his own way. But I would even, you know, certainly include him, even though he's the only one who stayed. Yeah, that's interesting how that, uh, you know, how we need to go out and stake our claim in the world and, and yeah. just define who we are and, and figure that out. It takes a lot of time sometimes. And I can see how it would be difficult being part of a clan and having that be your identity and, and then trying to sort out um, the individual from that. All right. One of, well, the, one, of the, one of the dynamics of the family is, uh, is trying, to, um, trying to express our, our individualness. Uh, as we as we grow older, we support each other. Uh, today is my uh, sister Annie's uh, birthday, so and and we've all already weighed in on her birthday on uh, uh, you know emails and wishing her happy birthday. So we're all very very supportive of each other. Um, but I don't know if I'll ever not be Joey, the ninth of thirteen in this clan. You know, right. I, I, you know, no matter what I do, it it really doesn't matter. You know, my opinion only matters as much as it did when I was ten. <laughs> that's also amazing too how far you can go and still have the same dynamics within the family which some are good some are not so good uh some are yeah. some are cherished so yeah, that's a good uh, that ninth of 13 i'm sure su will surprise some some of your uh, some of your people i'm gonna jump in you know we've talked very little before this. I know you through my mom. I know that she participated in a big event earlier this year that you had put together and, and was was part of your vision. Would love to hear you talk a little bit about that before we jump into some of what might be coming up on the horizon for you. So tell Wonderful. us about that. Yeah. Okay, I will. And um, uh, I, uh, one of the things that um, uh, one of the questions that you had was, um, I think on here, let me see if I have it here. Um, uh, sorry for the delay. No problem. Uh, oh, a significant thing in your life, you know, which allowed you to take one path over another. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're always, hopefully, as we live life, you know, we're always, uh, you know, faced with these roads and, uh, uh, and we have to take one or the other when the fork is there. And, uh, or Yogi Berra saying, uh, you come to the fort, take it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, when I became a chiropractor in, um, in 1980, actually 79, the end of, end of 1979, but when I began practice, actually no, throughout, yeah, yeah, because I was an associate uh, chiropractor in 79, then I went out on my own in 1980. Anyway, I moved to Stanton, Virginia, and I wasn't seeing many patients, of course, you get there, nobody knows who you are, and phone might ring, you know, you see two or three people a day. And, and uh, so I just thought, you know, I was getting a little restless. And I, the newspaper uh, had an ad for a drummer. And I had been a drummer since I was in sixth grade. And not a school musician, just a rock and roll drummer. I knew, I knew a rock steady beat and a swing beat. And uh, I knew three, four time and four, four time. And that was the extent of, uh, of my knowledge of, of the drums. And, uh, but it was enough to be in rock and roll bands in high school and uh, even in college a little bit. But when I got out, I was going to be a mature adult, of course. And once you get out, you're, you know, you put those childish things behind you. And you, uh, uh, I remember my father saying, you know, when are you going to give up this band business, Joe? And um, although he was extremely supportive of that, I don't mean to, uh, to uh, disregard that. 
anyway, trying to make a uh, trying to get us to where we are today. And I won't go through 40 years of, of experiences, but the one thing was that I answered that ad and, uh, and I called him up and I said, uh, you know, I, I'm a drummer and I'd love to play, uh, but I don't have a set of drums. And they said, that's okay, we do. The drummer, he'll let you use his because he's not, gonna, he's not playing anymore. He'll let you use his. And I thought, well, that's great. So I went out and I, um, and I auditioned and they ex accepted me into the band. And we played Moose Lodges and Elks Clubs and you know, things like that and played a little country music. And, and, uh, and then I got, into, uh, I got a call uh, from another band that needed a, a drummer and, uh, and I went and auditioned for them. They were more serious. They actually wrote all their own music and it was more of a punk rock and roll band. And, um, and, I, be and I learned so much from, from these guys and about, about a lot of music that I liked, but also a lot about, a, a lot about music that I, I didn't really know about at the time and was exposed to. And I realized that music is, is exhilarating, fun, and expressive, especially when I was contributing to the writing of some of the music. And so fast forward now throughout the years, my, uh, what I've, I, I've belonged to the Elks Club, I've belonged to the, the Rotary, I've belonged to, um, um, Actually, not the Elks, but the Knights of Columbus. They're not, it wasn't even, what is it? Um, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. One of these civic organizations. But I, I found myself not working well within the civic organizational club atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I worked better on my own. And so I, I, I started to um, put on concerts. And I saw that as my civic uh, contribution because mm -hmm. I really believe that professionals, well, even anybody who you know, lives in a community, if you want to strengthen your community, it would be wise for you to get involved somehow, whether it's running for office or whether it's on a board, contribute in some way. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. way that I contributed then was through the, um, uh, through uh, promoting and, and uh, promoting concerts. And we set up then a nonprofit group and uh, we put on, oh golly, nine or 10 concerts a year. Uh, then for five summers, we had uh, house concerts in our, in our backyard, but there was 75 to 100 people would come to those. And um, so I've been kind of an organizer. And uh, there are two major productions that I've, I've done, and that brings us to, uh, to my involvement with your mother. And that is um, I was able to tell the story, the love story, of how my wife and I met and eventually uh, uh, were married, and it began in 1974. And it's an interesting thing about music, and that is that when you go through these periods that are so intense in your life, falling in love, losing the love, um, getting married, having chi children, uh, just discovering your, your, your individualness, which I did in the 60s when I began to, uh, to play the drums, and music, I re saw how powerful music can be and how it's a friend when you need a friend, when yeah. it, uh, um, uh, it, it not only gave me a, a, an avenue that I could express myself, but it also just listening to music seemed to comfort my life. And uh, Joni Mitchell is a great influence yeah. and uh, her, her lyrics just seem to be speaking to me and uh, um, uh, among other songwriters. And, uh, and I saw how powerful music was. So when I look back at my life, I thought, well, hey, I could do a production and I could take just you, I could use my life as the outline. Mm -hmm. And I was born in 1955. And I remember, <laughs> I remember the music that my parents listened to at that time. 
And so I thought, well, we could play music from that time. And I could, I could tell the story from, even though it was my life, I never did use my name. I just used, the narrator would say, I was born in 1955. I was the ninth of 13 children mm-hmm. in a family of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then in, sort of introduce the song or the situation. And so then we got into the 60s. And, of course, the Beatles came. And I remember the 1964 uh, vividly going down in front of the television set and watching Ed Sullivan and, and, um, uh, and then listening to the pop radio and, and, um, uh, and then playing drums myself and learning songs. And, 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 and so I was able to, to take some of these songs that were important at pivotal points of my life, and the narrator would would outline the pivotal port, um, a pivotal part of my life. Uh, to give you an example, I remember listening to Puff the Magic Dragon in mm-hmm. 1962, and I was seven years old. And when Puff the Magic Dragon came on, um, I listened to the lyrics, and I could hear. I, and I really, really wanted to be this kid, Jackie Paper. Yeah. And then, but then at the end of the song, and this is just a three-minute song, but just a whole lifetime goes into this, uh, this, uh, this story. And at the end of the song, I find myself no longer wanting to be Jackie Paper, but feel, having feelings for the dragon. And, uh, and the line, um, when, you're, uh, when, his, those, when the green scales fell like rain, I just remember how much that affected me um, emotionally, that I just, I just really had feelings that of sadness for this, this dragon. And that's, I think the beginning of when I really realized how, when I realized how powerful music is and how powerful music can be, because it helped me to be able to develop empathy. Just that Mm -hmm. one song, I believe it was, was part of my ability to, to have um, uh, sympathy certainly for people and empathy. If I actually had gone through similar uh, circumstances and so the narrator would um, uh, would ex- sort of explain that, and then we would play the you know we could play the song. And then Mary Lynn and I meeting in 1974, and she lived in New York, and I lived in Iowa, and there were many songs that surrounded our our uh, relationship at that point. And then uh, we lasted two years, but I I would hitchhike from Iowa to New York to see her. She lived down in Utica, now near Utica. And uh, she would take a, a Greyhound bus from from Utica out to Iowa during during uh, uh, school breaks, and uh, so we tried to keep that up. Sent love letters to each other, and it lasted for about two years. And then, unfortunately, um, uh, she sent me a letter saying that it was best, and I knew that she was right. Yeah. And uh, and so there were songs that were that were uh, associated with that. And then uh, fast forward, I got married, and um, and uh, I got divorced. Uh, I had a child and my son lived then with his mother. And so then I had to do the uh, back and forth of, of being the, the father, trying to be the father involved, but yet not be able to be there every night to put him to bed, so which, hard. Uh, which mm-hmm. was very difficult. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. And, uh, and then my sister was in the Chicago airport um, in 1985 or something like that. And she got off a plane and there's Mary Lynn standing there. Um, and and, and they knew each other and um and they oh my gosh you know hey how you doing oh i'm great where do you live now and and uh she said she lives in virginia and she and and my sister said well you know joe lives in virginia now too so here we had moved to virginia from her from new york and me from iowa 
And so there we are in Virginia, but we still didn't get a hold of each other. And then 10 years later, she and her husband and her three kids were traveling Virginia. And they, um, uh, they stopped in Stanton in my town. And sure enough, she called me up and we, we all had breakfast then the next, the next day, which was really odd. Uh, to be there, but it was wonderful to see her. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then, ten years after that, nearly ten years after that, uh, a woman from Charlottesville, Virginia, called me and asked me if I would uh, play drums or hand percussion. I was playing hand percussion at the time um, for a couple of contra dances, and I said, "Sure, you know, where are they?" And she said, "Well, one was in Charlottesville, and the other was in Percival, Virginia, and um, that's where Mary Lynn lives." And so I thought, "Oh my gosh, do I call her?" And, so I thought, well, why not? So I called her up and, and I asked her if she and her husband would like to uh, have dinner with me and maybe go to this dance and we see each other again. And, and um, she said, uh, well, I got to tell you, my husband and I are divorced and, and I was too. And, and so she, we ended up meeting there. That was in 2003. And, uh, and we immediately fell in love again. Wow. And, um, and then we, um, you know, you can never go back. And uh, we knew that, and we even addressed that even the, uh, when we realized that we wanted to continue seeing each other. You know, we even acknowledged the fact that you cannot go back. And um, You're not picking up where you left off back in, back in the, no, you, from the you first just, round, yeah. You just can't do that. But then as we talked about our lives and our children and how we raised our children, the decisions that we made, the paths that we took, I just was so, so impressed with her. And it was very easy for me to fall back in love with her. And then we married in 2007 and there's all kinds of music that is surrounding those, you know, not only uh, in lyrics, but also just that were being played at the time or that I was singing at the time. Anyway, so I got to tell that story and and I, uh, and I got 20 musicians and singers and uh, actors and, uh, and we, uh, we did a performance at the Pendragon theater here right before the COVID hit. And uh, we were able to gather, and uh, we had three sold-out shows, and it was very uh, successful um, in many, many different ways. And one of the great things was that I got to be, I got to meet your mother, I got to be around her, and to realize what an incredible musician she was. And since I'm not a school musician, when you get all those mu- musicians together, I can, I can corral them, and I can organize to a degree. But when it comes down to, wait a second, that's not the right chord, that this is... This, you know, there's just a, you know, I think that they're playing a ninth in here. And that's very important to make sure that that ninth is in there because it, it, it goes right along with the melody or it introduces the next chord or that kind of language. Your mother was able to, uh, to be able to use that, that communication between uh, not only me and the musicians, but she and I, and she was an incredible help. So um, yeah, she's amazing. She's really, I mean, she's been a musician forever and is really, I mean, works at it every day, as you know. And yeah. she had a great time. I mean, it introduced her to a lot of the songs that I grew up listening to in college myself because, you know, I I got deeply into classic rock, um, you know, 20 years after it had come out. And so she didn't really have familiarity with Little Feet or other bands like that. And those were, that's what I was listening to for years. So now we have more of a shared language on some of that music, which is, which is nice. And so that's Great. another positive that came out of it. And, and I, but I heard it was just such a, from her standpoint, it was just an amazing musical experience to be in the room with, with everybody else and everybody's contributions and the vision that you had. Yeah. So I it, know it, it was a significant, um, 
and, and the schedule was tight. So I, I remember she was out here over Christmas getting ready to, to learn, you know, she had a playlist, she was learning the music and so. She did. And, and over Christmas, it's interesting. She had the playlist, but I was still writing the, uh, <laughs> the monologue at that mm -hmm. time. I, I, luckily I went to Ireland and, um, in, in, and stayed with some friends of mine in, in Westport, Ireland. And, and I sat at their kitchen table and, and I would write this, I would write some things and then I would show it to Eve, my friend over there and, and uh, Derek and, and they would read it and they'd go, did you write this? And I said, yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> and it was fun to get their feedback. And, uh, and so then when I came back, we had the month of January to put it together. Yeah. But anyway, it was, it was one of the best things about it was that it, uh, that it, it, it people were able to relate to it. It wasn't like the Joe Dockery show, which was really nice. It was just this person's life who went through this time span. So the people in the audience were all 60 and up, you know, most, most everybody in the audience were 60 and older. And so they not only knew the songs, but they also had the emotional connection uh, to those songs. And, and, and afterwards people came up to us and just thanked us for being able to bring them back, not only with the music, but also with the, we had a, we had a scene in Viet on Vietnam. We had uh, uh, a divorce scene. We had, um, uh, you know, a couple of the things that, that uh, certainly touched a lot of people. I love that. And I, you know, I think of music in a couple different ways, but one of the things that um, strikes me about it and, and knowing about your show and what you had put together brought this to the forefront of my mind again, which is for me, so many of the songs that I love have connection to specific times or places or people, which is great. So I'll hear a song that I haven't heard in 10 years and it'll bring me right back to the last time I heard it with the person I heard it with or, or whatever the significance is. And so that's nice or painful. It can be both. And then there's yeah. songs for me that I have that are just mine and they're, they're, I don't have to share that memory with somebody else. It's something that is specifically mine that, is, you know, I call it a Chris tune and, and those are also nice to have are these individual um, pieces of music that don't have memories attached um, that can either um, bring you down or bring you up, but are just very personal. And so I, I just, uh, I guess that idea had been rattling around in my mind for a while. And then when I heard about, about this show that you were putting together, it solidified that. So are there any That's songs that are just yours that, are, that, that you, um, identify with that don't share uh, memories with others? Well, yes, no doubt. And what you're explaining is, is how powerful music can be. Uh, I remember some of where publishing rights for music is a really big thing. Um, uh, you know, who owns the songs? And, <clears throat> and, and I remember, I, I wish that I was prepared enough to be able to give you the exact reference here. But someone said, and it was a famous person who said it about the Beatles music, you know, that, that in a way, you know, they can make all the money that they, that they want or, or deserve to have over that. But, but those songs no longer are theirs. Right. Those, those songs are ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how, that's how powerful music is yeah. that you can actually take a song. Like if you see her say hello by Bob Dylan. And when I hear that song, you know, the lights go out as far as, as me thinking that any, that that's anyone else's song, but, but mine. And, and <laughs> right. there's all kinds of, and the interesting thing about that song is that there was a young man, not a young man. So he's older than I am. There was a man who, uh, who stopped me on the street in Stanton 
we used that song when Mary Lynn and I broke up, and it was the song that I listened to over and over and over and over again, and it gave me so much comfort yeah. and so much peace to have that song because it, it not only was mine, but it, it was it was it just reminded me and it put me right into that emotional relationship that I had that was so important and powerful to me. And he stopped me on the street and, and he said, hey, you know, uh, and I know his wife. And, and he said, you know, we broke up in 1976 and I used to go to this bar in Schenectady and they had, an, they had a jukebox where you could play albums and songs from albums. And, and, uh, and I would sit there and I would do these little shots and I, because she was off and I don't have no idea who she was with, but she broke up with me and I was just in, in bad shape and I would do these shots and I would play If You See Her, Say Hello over and over and over again. And, and then he stopped and, um, and he looked at me and he was tearing up and he just hugged me and he just said, thank you for that. Wow. That's, <laughs> so, that's so, so amazing. So there's a song that was totally mine, but it was also his. Also his, as it, yeah. As it was millions of other people, but for Joni Mitchell's songs, for Bob Dylan's songs. So, you know, we use Cat Stevens' Father and Son, and that was a song that, uh, you know, you, you listen to that with the headphones on, and you're right there, and he's just, he's telling your story. And yeah. um, so uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but, um, but yeah, certainly. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I love, I love talking about music and all the different ways, you know, I'm not, I grew up playing, but I'm not really uh, a player now. Um, but I, I just enjoy and connect with it in so many ways. And um, so yeah, so let me ask you, I don't know, where do you want to go next? Well, I was a, uh, as I was, you know, 41 years as a chiropractor, um, there was a tremendous amount of evolution that went on in the way I practice. I, I shouldn't say a tremendous amount. There certainly was, and I'm actually pretty much the same the way I practice now, but the appreciation that I have, and we could certainly talk about that. I think that about, uh, it would certainly be of interest to people to know. Definitely. What I have learned over 42 years of, of practicing um, uh, what I think health is, uh, how I think, how you should go about attaining it, and, um, and, and what are the resources that are readily available for you to, uh, to attain good health? And yeah, wellness? that would be great. I think a lot of people struggle with, with a lot of pain. And, and I think the wellness um, area, uh, I think, I know many of us don't focus on it as much as we should in the early years. So we have to spend a lot more time focusing on it later on. Uh, yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Well, I think... Um, Self-care is the key to health care. There's so much talk these days about the crisis that we have in health care, and it comes down to who's going to pay for the health care. Who's going to pay for my insurance? You know, am I going to have to pay? Am I going to have to pay half of it? Am I going to have to pay a tenth of it? You know, can I get free insurance through my work? Which is a whole other conversation right there, what that has done to society and the economics of, of the, the average person. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that today, too. Uh, but anyway. Um, I think we're going to have to have a round two. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, a little, 
windy when it comes to speaking i'm afraid well i think there's a lot of a lot of good topics and i and i um a lot to dig into so so we can definitely feel relaxed about what we get through today and then definitely schedule a round two if you're up for it sure oh yeah. gosh this is important this is very important and uh, um so health and wellness uh certainly you want to be healthy you want to be without sickness no doubt about it but you know, there is this, this, this Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, uh, that, that states how there's, you know, the first need is just food and then shelter the and, and then, yeah, just the basics, you know, and then, uh, and then finding that you are a part of a, you know, maybe the next step up is you're a part of a, a group that you have a family or that you have uh, close friends so that you, that you feel that you're a part of of, of, of a group that is supporting you. We need that as a human, as the human species. And, and, the, and these, are, these are just not things that are, these evolved. This, mm -hmm. is, this is why we are kings of the forest and queens of the forest. We have no predators. We have, you know, yes, we can get snake bitten and sure we can get attacked by a bear. And, you know, yes, you can, you can get COVID unfortunately and, and you can die, but it's not gonna wipe us out. It's not gonna wipe out the species. Um, we, w w there's no predator that we have on a regular basis that we really have to worry about. And how have we done that? Well, we've done that because of the, the, the evolution of our brains and, um, and that we've been able to figure it out and to put ourselves in this position. The irony of that, of course, is that the things that our brain produces is the thing that is going to annihilate us mm -hmm. through uh, climate change or through nuclear war. And these are things that, are, that, that we created ourselves and so um, getting back to health and wellness, um, uh, I look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a, uh, as a, as a good framework to look to see what, is, what does a person need in their life. And the end result is self-actualization, is, mm -hmm. is you know, not only safety and shelter and love and belongingness and self-esteem, you, you certainly need self-esteem, but you also need some kind of achievement in your life. And, and, and you need to develop not only self-respect, but but um, um, uh, the, the term self-actualization, where you're realizing that you have this potential and that you're able to, to express it without restriction, um, that once you can attain that and have that, I mean, I don't know what else there is to life if you can do it. And, and, um, and I look at my life as this male, white, American, and how easy it has come for me. And I look around how easy it has come for other people, yet we have this health crisis. And it's not who's going to pay for our health, but it's how many people are getting cancer and how many people are getting heart disease and how many people are getting these, 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 these what we would call lifestyle diseases, which are what is, what, is, what is killing us. And not only killing us, we're all going to die. But to be able to find your creative potential, to be to feel safe enough to be able to express it and to be able to express it and make a change that's the benefit that i think that each individual has for the betterment of not only the species but also for the betterment of our world and and we can attain it we do need some support through the government no doubt about it but it's not rocket science there are fruits and vegetables out there that are to be eaten by the human species. There is, there are, there is, there is um, uh, grass-fed meats that are congruent with the genetic expression of the human being. 
you know, we can't, uh, you know, cows don't eat grass. Um, they have to, or, or cows do eat grass, what I mean. Uh, we don't eat grass. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't, we don't, uh, uh, we don't digest grass. Um, uh, there are other things that we need to, uh, uh, that, that we need to eat. And those are the things that we evolved from animals. Well, we are animals from the lower animals to this higher, higher being. And food is one part of it. And so if we were to look at the food that our ancestors ate, that's the food that we should be eating now. But we're not. I mean, we are, but we're eating derivatives. Of it. We're eating M&Ms and we're eating uh, uh, processed uh, uh, breads, processed meats. We're eating uh, processed grains. The access is different. And so it is. And, and so our bodies, are, our bodies are not taking that food and assimilating it to, um, uh, w without having to fight it off first and get rid of the junk that's in it to be able to find the nutrients that we have. But that results in, in, in disease. The other thing too is that it's so easy to get food. We live in a land of plenty and, and really, really good food costs money. And so now the healthiest people are the richest people and the least healthy are the poorest people. And when you go to really, to really poor areas of a city, you know, they call those you know, um, uh, food ghettos mm -hmm. uh, because the fact that there's just, there's just no grocery stores and there's nothing but the convenience store for them. And so our society is not setting ourselves up to attain or to go through this series of, of um, a hierarchy of needs that Maslow had put out because it's making it hard for people to be able to become self-actualized. So what I've done as a chiropractor is try to, try to let people know that they can be healthy if they take the resources that they have that are right around them. And that is the food that they eat. Number one, what you put into your body is how your body is going to express itself. And so if whatever problem you have, the first thing you want to ask yourself, I don't care if it's a, if it's a mental problem or a physical problem, even a financial problem, you have to ask yourself, okay, how did I get myself here? And am I healthy enough to be able to get myself out of this? And what can I do myself? And if you're not eating well, you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to be healthy. You can't go to a doctor and have that doctor give you something and have you be healthy. They might be able to bring you back to where you were before you got sick but they're not going to be able to make you any healthier than you were prior to you getting, getting sick. Right. There's a baseline. So, so it's really important to know that, that, that if you eat poorly, you're going to get sick. And then the other thing is, uh, is exercise. Our Movement. human species evolved in a very physical life. They were, they were, they were a, uh, a, a nomadic species that, that, that roamed and, um, and that took physical fitness. And so it would, it would behoove us then to be physically fit, whether it's a daily walk, no matter there's so many different, uh, uh, now with YouTube, you know, you can, you can get up a, a workout in no time and just get, stand in front of your computer and do calisthenics and be able to physically challenge your body. So physical fitness ex is extremely important. And then the other is mental fitness, and that is taxing your brain. And not only in reading and filling your brain full of facts, which is extremely important as far as brain development is concerned, but also going inside your own head. 
We know now from the origin of species uh, uh, display at the Smithsonian, we went to it a few years back. Uh, I don't know if it's still there or not. If it is, it would be, it'd be, it'd be good for you to go. Yeah, it sounds like um, great. One of the things that they say is how there was a, about five to 800,000 years ago, there was a disproportionate increase in brain size. And that disproportionate increase in brain size, in brain size coincided with the, the um, uh, not discovery, but the uh, control of fire. And what happened is that when, when our ancestors began to use fire, number one, they were able to cook food, which were able to break down the nutrients to allow those to be more readily uh, digestible into our system. So our bodies were becoming, our bodies were getting more out of the food that they ate, number one. Another thing was that they could sleep more soundly. And so they may not have slept longer, but they were able to sleep deeper. There are some species who actually, there's a bird that, 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 uh, that sleeps with one eye open. And so half of its brain is sleeping and the other half of its brain is on guard. And then, uh, and then later on in the night, the other half will go to sleep and the other half will stay open. That's fascinating. So that that's, that is unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> so amazing, yeah. And, and so we as human beings, once we had fire, we were able to sleep around the fire, and that kept the wolves away, that kept a lot of the predators away, and we were able to sleep more soundly. And another thing extremely important about fire, and we know this, you know this, from being up here in the Adirondacks, and that is that when you look into a fire, into a campfire, your, the brain, your brain waves change. and you, it slows things down and you go into almost a meditative state. And uh. in that meditative state is a, is a state of dreaming and a state of creation. And when you, can, when you can look into a fire, it's not just looking into a fire, everything is quiet, although it, being quiet is, is one thing that, uh, that does help that brain slow down. But your brain waves actually change to the point that you go into this 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 creative state and it's there where you're able to ruminate and that is they believe that that's when language began to uh to be developed as people were sitting around the fire and they were looking in the fire and they were getting they were getting ideas they were getting ideas about their life and they needed to express those ideas so two things were happening number one the looking into the fire and the ruminating or what what, what i call now daydreaming is extremely, extremely important, but that's something that the human species does. So that's another thing that's important for us to do is to appreciate our daydreaming, appreciate our thoughts, because that is what's going to be the, the innovative uh, um, uh, idea of the future that they can occur around uh, looking into a fire or at least appreciating the dynamic of daydreaming. So that's fascinating. I, I can, I mean, yes, it seems hypnotic when you're sitting around a campfire and that yeah. there's a, a sense of relaxation that is hard to achieve in other, in other ways, I think. So, um, so getting back to health and wellness then and what I've learned over the years is that not only do I do manipulation of the spine to take people out of pain, which is, which is pretty much the bread and butter of what I do. Um, uh, if, if people really want to be healthy, then they need to be looking at themselves as an animal and what are the needs of this animal and the needs of this human animal are the three things that I just went over the physical fitness through exercise, the nutritional fitness through proper uh, food intake, and then the mental fitness 
um, through not only reading and filling your head full of facts, but also appreciating the uh, creative ideas that you're able to, uh, uh, to dream up, so to speak. Um, in terms of, for, for someone, I mean, you see probably people across the continuum of pain and ability to move. For someone who is struggling and, and may feel that they can't walk or, or do some of the thing, basic things that might actually help them, how do you approach that? Because I, I feel like walking is such a, I don't know, it's just such an uh, important way to keep everything healthy. Walking and meditation, I think, are the two, the two big ones for me. And, and granted, if, you, if you're doing more ac activity, that's great. But, but for those people who might be really struggling with even just some basic walking, is there anything... Um, that yeah. you can prescribe just through this pot. I, I know that each person's different, but what would you recommend? Well, motion is lotion. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, a, uh, that's a, a famous saying, not only between chiropractors, but also physical therapists. And, uh, and as I see you nod your head, I, 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 uh, I can see that you can identify with that. And what they mean by motion is lotion is that uh, there is a gland inside each joint called the synovial gland, and it lines the capsular ligament that holds the two bones together. Uh, that happens in any joint of the body, whether it's the fingers or the shoulders or the hips or wherever. And that gland secretes a fluid, and that fluid is a lubricant, and that lubricant then, then um, uh, decreases friction within that joint. But it also provides nutrients to the joint, too. So when you move and you stimulate the secretion of that, uh, of that fluid, well, then you are feeding that, that joint. And so in that respect, movement is actually a nutrient. Movement is, 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 is a nutrient as, as, as important as the apple that I ate this morning or the orange that I ate this morning. And as I move, I am now providing nutrients to the joints. And the joints need nutrients because the joint is not just two bones coming together. A joint is two bones, but lined with those bones is a, is a, is a cartilage lining. Um, uh, that cartilage lining then is surrounded by a ligament. Uh, that ligament holds that fluid in there, has the gland inside. So you see there's many different components of the yeah. joint. And not only are there these components of the joint, but there are nerves that the, the, these joints are highly uh, innervated. What I mean by that is there are all kinds of, there's different types of nerves in these joints. And those nerves, when stimulated, stimulate the brain in a number of different ways. And one of the ways is that it stimulates the brain, um, uh, it closes the gate on pain. So, you know, if you have a pain in the joint, you seem to rub it and you move it. Well, the reason that you move it is that you want to stimulate certain fibers called proprioceptive fibers that go up to the brain and close the gate on the, uh, actually into the spinal cord, and close the gate on pain-sensitive nerve fibers. So the brain is sensing this motion, but it's no longer sensing the pain signals, or at least it's not registering in the brain. And not only that, but those proprioceptive nerves have a communication with the emotional part of our brain too. Oh. And so movement not only bathes the joint and allows the joint to become uh, uh, healthier itself, but it also allows us to become healthier because it calms us down. Movement, movement calms us down. Okay, yeah. so now what if people can't move? They, and, and, you know, ligaments don't have a very good blood supply not like muscle and not like bone. So when you injure a muscle, the muscle is so highly vascular that it, 
it heals really quickly. It looks ugly, you know, it bruises and is brown and then green and then yellow. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it looks, it looks ugly, but, but the fact that it has such a high amount of blood supply to the muscle means that nutrients come in, toxins being taken away, proteins come in, repair tissue, you know, they leave and all of a sudden, aha, voila, you've got your, your muscle back. Bone is the same. When you break a bone, bones are highly vascular. And those bones then have readily available to them nutrients that are able to mend the bone. And we've, you've, you've always heard, or not always, but you often have heard how when you break a bone and it heals, you can't even see where it was, it was broken. Yeah. But a ligament, unfortunately, does not have the same blood supply. It relies on that motion for its nutrition. So when you end up injuring your knees, let's say, because so many people have bad knees mm -hmm. and uh, to keep them from walking, well, when you injure those knees and those, those joints begin to break down, the whole body begins to break down because of the lack of motion, lack of movement that used to stimulate the brain and the emotional centers of the brain. That is no longer there, or at least there less often. The, 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 the area that needs to be healed or that needs nutrition the most, the actual injured area of the knee itself isn't able to get the nutrients because it's, it's, you are avoiding it because of the pain that, that occurs when you, do, when you do move. So the only thing that I can tell people is, first of all, appreciate the fact that these injured joints do need to move. They don't need to move with your weight bearing. So if you can get into a situation where you're where like a stationary bicycle, where that knee is moving, but it's not, you're not putting all of your right. weight on it, but the knee is actually moving. That is extremely important. So I would say in, as far as knees or ankles or hips, that a stationary bicycle is going to be extremely important to be able to help that hip heal, but also to allow your whole body to enjoy the benefits that motion allows. Essential. Sounds, it sounds essential. Find a way to move something a little bit in any way possible. And if you, and if you can't move at all, well, then move your arms, mm -hmm. you know, but get, but get some motion going, not only to help those individual joints, but to help your body as a whole. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So we are winding down on our hour and I wanted to ask you, what is next for you? You're looking at retiring, you're considering or planning a move at least part-time back to Virginia. Um, yes. You shared something that might be in the works um, offline. Did you want to talk about that now or do you want to tell me what's, uh, what are your thoughts about next steps? Uh, okay. Well, you know, what I, I wish that I could do more chiropractic and I will continue to do some chiropractic, but 41 years of massage and manipulation has caused some arthritis in my own joints. And so uh, being a musician, I want to keep those joints going. So I'll be doing less chiropractic um, and I'd like to get a podcast going myself. And that podcast then would, uh, I've even got a name for it. It's called From the Hip uh, Radio with Joe Dockery. And I'll be playing music, both live and recorded music. And also, you know, having conversations like you and I are having right now about health and wellness. And um, uh, so that's sort of in the works. And I really like that idea because then in my, in my retirement, I can keep my mind stimulated. I can, uh, uh, it'll keep me up to date on current events. And, uh, and of course, uh, I'll be able to play, uh, play music um, with friends that will end up being put on the podcast. So, <laughs> What a great kind of mix of, of everything that you've done so far and, and a way to incorporate it going forward. Yeah, it seems like a logical next step. And uh, whether anybody listens or not, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Thankfully, I don't, I don't have to look at it as a, as a complete living. It would be wonderful to make money on a podcast, but that's not, that's not the, uh, 
Uh, that's not, not my goal. Not my goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it really fun. I think the conversations uh, that I'm having are just—it's just really fun to be in the moment, talking and then sharing it out. And I think I think people crave good content and, and good conversations. So I, I have no doubt that people will listen to yours and, and get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of it. I hope so, Christina, but uh, people are definitely listening to yours and I, uh, I'm real privileged to be on this and, you know, I hope that some things in my life uh, and passing it on will help some others in their lives. Yeah. Um, before we close today, is there a song that you want me to put on the Workbench playlist list? Um, let's see. Okay. Yes. Um, I was, I, I started my podcast, uh, I'm developing a few before I actually launch it. And Al Green's Stand Up is okay. a, uh, it would be a really good one. And he just says, stand up, identify yourself. You got, you're guaranteed nothing but one day and today's it. So take it. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you so much. And yes, let's keep in touch about a possible round two. Thank you so much for your time today, Joe. You are welcome, Christina. Thank you. everybody. Thank you for joining us today at the workbench. We welcome your comments and would love to hear what you're in the process of building. Look us up at ChristinaA.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-U.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can help us with our build by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We aim to stir the pot and inspire you for the next big thing you want to build or create. We look forward to seeing you next time.